Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Struggle Session. I'm Leslie Lee the Third, and I'm Emma Bowers. And Jack is not joining us today. He is getting a little holiday uh, vacation uh, from this episode, from this movie, uh, <laughs> really, because we are review. And I hope we are putting this episode out fast enough in time to spare a lot of you uh, from watching uh, this as well. But we do have a very, very special guest. And I'm a little bit ashamed uh, to have them on uh, uh, for such a lowly unintellectual thing <laughs> because this is one of the most intellectual <laughs> intelligent people uh on all, that i've ever encountered uh as a you know as a writer as a scholar as a critic uh q anthony from the drop squad podcast as well as the contributing editor to mcleans and the uh one of the founders of resistance noir thank you so much uh for joining us Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate that. And that's, oh, jeez, man. You were just laid it on thick there. You're making me blush. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, it's very true. You're what, you you have such a long litany of, you know, scholarship and work, and you're always putting in the work uh, online and off. And But I saw you made the mistake of uh, tweeting about this movie, and I was like, I have to have you on for this because I want to <laughs> really know. Uh, and and Plus, it's the easier show for me because you can like rip this thing uh, to shreds. And Emma as well. I saw that you were tweeting about it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can put put this together. You know, I can get a little bit of content out of this horrible experience at the very least. Uh, so today we are talking about Wonder Woman 84, the sequel to Patty Jenkins's uh, Wonder Woman uh, taking place in the DC Extended Universe. Uh, it stars Gal Gadot, um, uh, as well as Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, Pedro Pascal, Robin White, uh, Robin Wright and Connie Nielsen make brief appearances as well. Uh, and, you know, this is the sequel to the first Wonder Woman movie and just before we get dive into this one what did all of y'all think about the first one um i i guess like for me with like superhero movies i have like kind of a baseline like is it watchable and i remember like to some extent enjoying wonder woman but i should mention sometimes when i say i enjoy something it doesn't really mean it's good or it can't hold up you know or like it's not immune to scrutiny or anything um, I didn't hate it the way some people did. And I saw some people just absolutely rip into it, but I was like, eh, it's, it's fine. You know, it's, it is a movie about Wonder Woman. Um, I was actually like kind of going in expecting it from this one. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> it's not even watchable. Yeah, I just I thought the first film was I, mean, it, I, I expected silly and goofy in the first place. Um, like that's kind of the direction that the DCEU has kind of taken after the uh, you know the everyone complained about the grim dark in Batman versus Superman. So it seemed like their uh, film offerings after that were just like sort of silly and campy, and that's what I thought it was going to get from the first Wonder Woman movie. It was it was all right. It was really silly, but I thought it was all right. Just there was some scenes of some incredibly cringeworthy acting going on, um, and I know that a lot of people had concerns about the lead actress Gal Gadot, but I, I try to you know separate like a popcorn movie going experience from the subtext therein. And you can always talk about the subtext afterwards, but because I'm a family man, I just try to enjoy stuff. Otherwise, I just walk around making like my my fiance miserable and having my children like have a grumpy nothing but like a grumpy face to grow up around so you have to at least like put on airs but this film it was uh just me and my fiance watching it last night and oh my god i uh i i again i, I try to turn off critical brain when i watch movies and try to enjoy them as much as i can if only for my fiance's sake because again i don't want her around somebody who's just like grouchy all the time but the moment the movie was over like everything just started cycling through my head like all of what i had just watched everything that i had like barely suppressed throughout the entire film just broke through the dam and i was supposed to be off of social media until after the holidays and i was like no fuck this i can't do this anymore I can't take it. so i logged on and started tweeting last night yeah and um I don't know the 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 whole like from beginning to end, especially like the last two acts of the movie. Which, by the way, the movie how long was um the movie is longer than some like a like 
some classic real movies. movies. Like, I, I'm pretty yeah. sure it's longer than yeah. I'm pretty sure it's longer than the fucking Godfather. Right? It was a long ass movie. <laughs> two and, and a half hours. Terrible for two thirds of it. Jesus Christ! The entire yeah. second and third act were absolute trash. Just the most unwatchable <laughs> shit, and full of these like Orientalist stereotypes. That I just I, and anyway, we can we can get into it. I was just I was so like f- infuriated by what I had just put myself through that I had to log in and tweet about it. And then here we are. <laughs> <laughs> I like what you say, Q, where it's like it kind of came crashing down because I had the same thing. And I, I have the same also deal with my partner. Where I'm like, I don't want to come in and just utterly ruin his experience by making Gal Gadot war crime jokes the entire time. You know, we're going to have a, a positive <laughs> yeah. Christmas and we're going to sit no, down and watch the we... Wonder Woman movie together. <laughs> and no, that's why we go on Twitter thing. and make Gal Gadot war crime jokes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> same thing. I mean, watching and I'm watching and the same thing. And it kind of finished. And I was just like. What the? It was like Tetris. Everything had stacked up. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, so, I mean, this 1984, I I was really, I really did not like the first Wonder Woman movie. But as you said, it was kind of like baseline good enough for a superhero movie. Like, and it seemed kind of like effortlessly so. Uh, This was Patty Jenkins's. uh, 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 second major uh, feature after Monster, which she had directed like, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And she spent a lot of time in TV. And then she's given, you know, this really big budget superhero uh, blockbuster. And I don't like the movie, but for the most part, I think uh, it was a very competently made blockbuster film. Even if I, you know, it's boring. I, I don't really find it. And Gal Gadot is like not that great an actress and she's much worse than this one. But for the most part, the first one just felt like, okay, they had their shit together and they put out what they needed to put out. And it made a bunch of money and that I th- feel like most people uh, felt like they got their money's worth. This one, though, with six extra goddamn months <laughs> to polish, finish, change up stuff, maybe do a reshoot or two, uh, because this movie was, was supposed to come out in like June or July. You have seen, you have been seeing advertisements for it. If you had ordered from Dairy Queen in the past few months, you have been getting <laughs> like Wonder Woman merch, like the whole, all of that has been going on for months and months and months. And in that time, they I would have expected them to make this film as good as possible, but it feels like just a, a it's a completely a, a tonal mess. The script makes no sense whatsoever. You will not know what's going on in this movie. It feels like a flashback to the older style of superhero movies, where it would just be written by you know. Uh, just like one coked up guy who barely has read the comic books and just puts whatever in the movie, you know, like the Richard Donner stuff or the Tim Burton uh, superhero movies. But it's not the clean, polished superhero film that we're used to getting. And, you know, sometimes that sort of sloppiness can be enjoyable. A lot of times it's a lot more enjoyable than the Disney approved version. But in this one, it's just boring, dull, confusing and just baffling. I just so many times I was just watching this movie and shocked that this is what they decided was a good idea the worst thing so far on hbo max and uh we we watched congo the other night for our podcast (laughs) oh no yeah speaking of very um oh yikes uh, a white guy wrote this and did not have a sensitivity reader on board Yeah, it kind of reminded me of like the old, um, like 1980s Dino De Laurentiis type movies, where I, I guess that was actually the look that they were going for. But from the very beginning, I was like, okay, I, I get the like aesthetic, and they were just like throwing 1980s all in your face, like with uh, you know people's like everything from like the workout attire to the way that like professional people dressed to like, uh, like the Wonder font. Woman, um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, that you can't yeah, exactly. read the unreadable yeah, the, font. <laughs> unreadable 1980s neon font. Like everything was just like so atrociously uh, like tacky. But the um, from the very beginning, you know, some weird stuff happens. Like a car comes zooming out of nowhere. There's a couple of guys that are taking a joyride and what looked like I'm pretty sure it was a Pontiac Firebird, but uh, or at least it had yeah, it was a Firebird, and um, they uh, almost ran over this uh, this lady who was jogging. Uh, and crossing the street, and Wonder Woman kicks the vehicle, 
and the vehicle, like, so she kicks it out of the way uh, so that it doesn't hit this uh, the stronger pedestrian. And it spins into the middle of the road. Doesn't hit anybody in oncoming traffic. Doesn't, like, fly to the other side of the road. It's just whatever. But the car didn't have, a, like, a scratch on it after she just, like, kicked it into doing a 720. <laughs> the vehicle was in perfect condition, and the occupants were completely fine. And I thought to myself, okay, this is going to be this is gonna be some interesting shit. And it was, just, it was just like that, where, like, nothing that actually happens in the movie has a consequence to anything else that happens in the movie unless it's a bad guy doing it. Like, there was, there's no broader implications for what Wonder Woman does to anybody throughout the entire film. Like, nobody's actually, like, harmed in the process and we can get we can get into this a little bit later but it's like wonder woman is not only a superhero she's also a superhero incapable of harming other people and that's just not wonder woman from the comics what i noticed and i I like that you bring this up because the very beginning is like baby diana on like you know um amazon island and she competes in their little like um i guess Amazon version of American Gladiators. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she almost is about to win, but she's cheated. And uh, her aunt and her mom basically are like, no, you cheated. You're disqualified. And she's like, you know, 10. So she has, she has like an absolute fit. And they're just like, this is just how this is. And I remember liking that scene because I was like, oh, I like that they're going to undress. Perhaps, you know, she's not infallible. And perhaps, you know, there are still things she has to work on. But no, it's literally just you have to tell the truth. And then that comes in later and it is the most bullshit baby brained like we're talking. This is like an episode of Peppa Pig. And it is so wild for me because it is set in 1984. And I remember when they announced that I was like, oh, boy, like Wonder Woman's going to battle the evil communists. And then when I saw the original trailer, I was like, oh, this is going to be. To be fair, like a a capitalist comment upon, you know, the absolute like rampantness of like neo-capitalism's boom in the 80s. And for being in 1984, it isn't about anything. It doesn't have any sort of commentary about that like timeline, even like even kind of half-assed or like, well, capitalism's bad in the wrong hands or some there's there's nothing. And it takes place in this really interesting time. And they're not interested in saying anything except for like, oh, there, there's a mall, because that's something in the 80s. You remember Leotards and <laughs> like leg warmers? And they don't do anything with it. It's so frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it is actually about something, but I, I, I think what it is is that um, it's about Patty Jenkins' formative years and how everything was just great in the 1980s. And I find this happens a lot with, uh, like, even with Stranger Things, for example, and other shows that are not just, like, taking place in the 1980s, but very deliberately and very, like, in-your-face 1980s. And what it seems to be is, like, people who are of that, like, uh, the the Gen X age and the late boomer age are just trying to recapture the feelings of their youth by telling us the 1980s were the best time period that ever existed. And it's like, you could could probably feel that way because, A, if you're a uh, late boomer, you feel that way because you don't want to interrogate how your lifestyle was funded on the immiseration of the third world, or B, you weren't old enough to really process why everything around you seemed to be good, and you've never really cared to interrogate that. And in a time period now when we're very, very conscious about U.S. imperialism and Western imperialism and what it means for the global South, you would like for us to take our attention away from all these horrible things that are happening and saying, yeah, but what if you could just return to a time when everything was just okay and we agreed with each other, maybe disagreed with us on some things politically, but agreed that we were Americans or, you, or you know, uh, UK people or Canadian people or whatever. And the whole idea is to make you like lull yourself back to sleep. Yeah. And it's especially you know, apparent because this is kind of like a time traveling story, too, for Steve Trevor. So the first Wonder Woman, she's a fish out of water because she's comes from this paradise island that's like vaguely ancient Greek, but also like has modern uh, some modern stuff, too. Uh, and she comes to modern, you know, uh uh, to the World War One era, uh, UK and Europe, and she's just absolutely horrified by all the violence and the misery that's going on. Right? 
in this one, you have the fish out of the water is Steve Trevor, who was a World War One um, like spy and fighter pilot for uh, the United States, who fell in love with Wonder Woman, and then he his he dies, and then his soul is transported to 1984, where Diana is now living in uh, Washington D.C. And his observations of the modern world, of, of, excuse me, of 1984, that version. Uh, of the modern world at that time is just wow this is all like really cool and stuff like you got like fast trains and like a subway and shit like he has no he's you usually these fish out of war war tales they're supposed to be like some sort of critique or analysis of the era of the time that this person is going into but steve trevor even coming from you know like the 1940s has really nothing to say about 1984 and certainly the movie as as you were both saying doesn't don't re- doesn't really say anything about 1984 other than wow it was like pretty cool but there was also like in the background like nuclear people we were worried about nuclear weapons or something like that it doesn't really address like what the era is and it's baffling why it was even set in 1984 it could have been set right now it's been bugging the shit out of me because so in the first wonder woman movie um it kind of is just contemporary setting wonder woman and gal Gadot is like once i was uh, you know i i lived on an island and i can't do her accents it just sounds like she's no, reading please keep doing it keep, please keep doing it <laughs> i live on an island and then something happened to me and and then I became Wonder Woman and I met Steve and I didn't Steve died. And this is like contemporary. This is taking place around the same time Batman v Superman's happening. So for me, it's just really weird. It's not like, oh, and then Steve came back briefly in the <laughs> 80s. He took over a body of another man. We had sex multiple times using this body. Um, and then he died again. <laughs> and it is something, and I, like a couple other people um, brought this up, but it's just really, here's the thing. It is a baby superhero movie movie you don't need to explain like why steve is back he's back because the magic rock wished him back but they have this whole thing where he's possessed the body of another man and it never is a problem no one's concerned he doesn't have like any friends or family checking in on him like the world goes to shit did he just like completely black out <laughs> just like what happened in the past week like this poor guy <laughs> I was thinking to myself, like, oh, is he conscious during all of this? Like, is he, does he, like, feel his body oh and God, watch his body like, being out. manipulated and controlled? <laughs> yeah, imagine being, like, a prisoner in your own body while this, like... sunken place while Gal Gadot <laughs> bangs you. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Let me not get canceled by saying what I want to say next. But I, all I'm going to say is... That is that is like the closest to an acceptable rape fantasy that I think the DCEU has ever come to. <laughs> well, this, one is go- this is going to be a premium episode. This is the premium. This is on the premium feed. Now. No, uh, no. What I'm trying to say yeah. is, it is very, it's very clear that this guy's. Bo- okay, so. Uh, the, the the like Steve's Steve's consciousness comes back into this other guy's body, and. Uh, Wonder Woman or Diana Prince has no ethical qualms whatsoever with using this man's body to fulfill yeah. like her wish of having her man back. Which, on top of that, I was actually really upset. The first, the o- I only intended to get on Twitter and tweet one smarmy thing, and then it spiraled off into something else because the again the dam broke. But I said, I said. I cannot wait because my daughters are less than three years old right now. I'm like, I cannot wait until I can show them this movie so that I can tell them if they get one wish and one only. The thing that they should wish for, like the the very, very tippity top wish that they should ever wish for is for a man. Just out of anything you can out of anything in the world that you can have, you should wish for a man because this is important. And the the way that the, the man comes back into her life is that she like doesn't even get her man back. She gets a man with her man's consciousness in it. So this guy is basically just a, a fucking meat puppet for a solid week, putting himself in mortal danger and like having sex with a total stranger, not of his own accord. That is fucking scary. And there's no moral lesson or implication here whatsoever, despite as Emma mentioned the opening scene it was just frightening to me can we also talk about how like she's i'm sorry she's fucking wonder woman she's wonder woman and she's played by this fucking israeli supermodel and she's like i will never love again <laughs> i'm like what the fuck, oh, fuck really? on. No one? like i was i was saying this but i was like 
really you're telling me that you've lived like for almost a century in this fucking world and the only guy you ever wanted to like be with was from a time where women couldn't even legally vote <laughs> couldn't like meet like one sensitive like beat neck or something <laughs> hey yo she knew this motherfucker for like two and a half weeks yeah. So she went, she became a 70 year war widow out of knowing some guy for a couple of weeks. They shared what, like a passionate kiss in the movie. And that was it. They had, they had one tender moment and then she decided to be a widow. Not even, not even just like never love again. She doesn't do anything. She doesn't go out. Cause when, uh, they, uh, when she, she takes, um, Kristen Wiig's character who later becomes the cheetah, uh, takes her out to lunch, you know, and she's at, uh, she, uh, Kristen Wiig asks her, uh, so do you, what do you, what do you do? Do you ever get out? You seem like you'd be really popular. And she's like, no, I don't do anything. I just stay home and I look at my walls. And it's, it's like, but like losing somebody doesn't mean you, you don't have a social life. Okay. I was actually just talking to my fiance before I, I came down to record with you. And I was talking to her about that scene. I was like, it didn't make any sense to me. She's like, well, you know, my father passed away. And my mom never remarried. I'm like, yeah, but how long were they together? She says, like, 20 years. I'm like, yeah, she knows this motherfucker for two weeks. And your mom <laughs> has a social life. She knows people. She has friends. She watches television. She engages in educational pursuits. And especially, like, now that she's got an empty nest, she's, like, going off and doing her own thing. She's living her best life. What did Gal Gadot do besides work in a museum and then go home and stare at her like her, she doesn't watch TV. What she does is watch security cameras in a hidden room in her apartment next to this armor that only gets explained conveniently in the third act. But we can always come back to that. And we're like, it makes no sense for anybody to live this way. I, I before we get off this, I just want to ask uh, both of you. I asked this on our first episode when we talked about the first film, but I just want to ask both of you: How old is Wonder Woman in this movie? Huh. How old is she in this movie? Does okay, and I, I apologize. It's been a while since I'm not super super in tune to Wonder Woman lore, except that it was some dude's S and M fantasy, which <laughs> they would have been a better movie. Um, but it, on the island, it feels like they like they don't age or something. Yes. So if you go back and watch the first movie, she we see her young, right? We see her as a baby. We see her grow up. And then the day she meets Steve Trevor is like the day that she graduates and becomes a full-fledged Amazon, right? So I'm asking the question, and she was born when the Greek gods died, and she meets Steve Trevor on her graduation day. How old is she actually supposed to be? I'm pretty sure Patty Jenkins had said that she was like centuries old by the time uh, the first movie begins. Like she's 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 actually quite old. So on that level, is the relationship with Steve Trevor from the beginning a significantly problematic age gap? Before we even get <laughs> into the body consent issue, well, how old is Steve? Oh, Steve's Steve is like, uh, well, like. 30? He's, he might be in his late 30s. Like, I gotta put this in. So me and Chris Pine are age twins. Like, he was born on the same exact day as me. So okay. at the uh -huh. time that movie came out, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was like 37. So if if uh, if Steve Trevor is the same age as Chris Pine, and at the time that movie came out, Chris Pine was 37, that's gotta mean there's a solid, like, 760-odd <laughs> year age gap. Yeah. My, my thing and is, though, like, I mean, I think it's okay. Like, he's not, like, you know, 18. He's clearly, like, world-weary and stuff. I, I trust him to make decisions and make the proper decisions and not be, like, coerced or manipulated by this, like, thousand-year-old, like, Amazon <laughs> goddess. Yeah, well, that's another thing. She's literally not a human being. She is a goddess, which they don't mention in this movie for some reason. It was, like, the whole point of the first movie was revealing the fact that, oh, actually, you're half of a you're half Greek god. You're the daughter of Zeus that's why you're more powerful than all the um other uh Amazons but in this movie like I don't they mention like oh this crystal that's causing all these problems came from one of the gods but they never like none of the gods show up they don't she doesn't talk about what happened to the gods since like it's all just like not even considered and and that's very strange because the movie is so so long they clearly could have had like you know something about the olympians in this 
Yeah, what's also kind of strange to me was that uh, so she's the uh, the daughter of Zeus, and she reads. Oh, we haven't even really gotten into like the whole wish stone yet, but like the the MacGuffin in the movie. Um, is this uh, this this device where after it's been mostly destroyed, um, Diana was able to read inscription on the inside of it, and she said it's in the language of the gods, and she was so, she was so shocked that she dropped it immediately. But yeah, you're right. There's no investigation. There's no like uh, backstory to the creation of this thing by the gods whatsoever and um her powers begin to slowly become oh i shouldn't even say slowly become removed because they like kind of pop in where necessary and then pop out where uh, they need to like drive the plot forward um but her her powers are like fluctuating in this film and they never actually talk about like why it is that diana is just like so immensely powerful and so capable that she's like able to cheat her way through i guess like uh amazonian gladiators as a 10 or 12 or 13 year old um but you know her her battle with one of the, uh, the 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 baddies in the movie. When her powers are restored, she's on like equal footing. It's like how could you? How okay? So if you were um, on equal footing in the first fight, like you were on just just underneath equal footing, but then you get your full range of powers back, and you're basically like going blow for blow. How how the fuck is it that you're, daughter, you're the daughter of a goddess? Like it it's just so inconsistent. You know, I almost forgave that because by that time, something was actually happening in the movie. I'm like, okay, finally, we have Cheetah. There's a, like a big fight scene with Kristen Wiig before she actually transforms into Cheetah. And like her outfit is like kind of cool and stuff, but it's like not a full-fledged superhero fight. I don't know why we need to wait till the third act to get like the villain to show up, but it's uh, it's kind of unfair to really say Kristen Wiig is the villain or even that uh, Wonder Woman's Gal Gadot is the main character because really this movie is about Pedro Pascal's Maxwell Lord as like I it, it is so strange because like he's the only one really with any kind of like arc or like reason for living or being in the movie or any kind of motivation and his story is kind of interesting and sweet but like you could have called this movie maxwell lord cut out like half of the like steve trevor gal Gadot stuff and this would probably be a lot much more enjoyable movie he also i think is the one the most like 80s in, in a good way like it's actually trying to say something i think a little bit interesting about that world which was just this complete like utter like like you know unchecked level of just you know like complete and utter like deregulation yeah and here's he's a like man he's like a patrick bateman yeah. donald trump type figure yeah exactly and i was like oh that's kind of interesting and then like everything else it's just a mess and there's too much stuff going on and i don't know I don't know. Also just made me laugh because like Pedro Pascal is a very handsome man and they're just trying to like, they're just trying so hard to sleaze him up. <laughs> it's like, yes. how do we make him look unattractive? Yeah. For him to like uh, bring himself down to the base level that the character required, uh, Pedro Pascal just doesn't have it in his system. But what also um, bugged me was that I wonder if they changed his um, power set, that is Maxwell Lord's uh, powers, because it comes too close to um Kilgrave from uh the Jessica Jones show that is Maxwell Lord in the comics has the ability to persuade people so like he can sort of like give people a, a psychic nudge he can't control them the way that Kilgrave could like Kilgrave would just say a thing and somebody would have to do it because they were under his power but uh Lord what made him such a, an insidious character and why people hated him so much is because he got people to do the thing that they subconsciously didn't really want to do. So after they were released from his power, they still had to live with the guilt that whatever evil action that they took was something that they kind of wanted in the first place, which to me made him an interesting character. But in this film, it's just like hammed up to such an absurd degree that he all he does is just like go around granting people wishes. So basically, he's just like a human monkey's paw. That is, yes. he'll uh, fulfill a wish, like somebody will wish for something, and he'll say granted, but then he'll take something away from them that they weren't even aware of, which I, I, like could have made for an interesting dynamic or an interesting plot. But it was just it was completely absurd. Yeah, like there is the 
pieces here of a pretty you know interesting like kind of silly 90s style superhero movie i I actually i like the monkey's paw thing where he gets to decide what's to take away that was kind of clever when i started to figure out like there was a couple of moments in this movie where i actually actually like oh that's kind of a good idea but then they're all drowned out by all the bad ideas that and, and completely incomprehensible ones that just like the film is just it feels so broken just fundamentally broken like for like we talked about maxwell lord he gets a lot of screen time we get to find out about his son and basically the end of the movie is like him he tries to destroy the world basically he is supposed to be ushering in armageddon but the end of the film is actually that he once he's able to realize that reconnecting with his son is more important than being rich and powerful uh basically everything goes back to normal more or less and the movie is over and like he doesn't even like go to jail or anything i feel <laughs> I, you can't send somebody i guess you can't send somebody in jail for like magical crimes yet there probably wouldn't be that legislation yet but uh, I, I do think that was kind of like there's a kernel of an interesting story there but it just gets too big and too out of hand and you and becomes just really confusing like what is actually happening what the stakes are why and they spend so much time also on the side story of like trevor and godot and as we already said like it's already like a weird relationship but they have no chemistry whatsoever the two actors and it's so frustrating because I I don't know I, Chris Pine to me like out of the the Chris Quartet he's he's the good he's the good oh Chris. yeah 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 and he's good in this you know he's fine he's likable he's handsome you know he's very charming and it's just weird to see him in this movie like I you know because it's just like he's there and there's no like you said like there's no real chemistry or connection um him even in the like uh, like he was saying in the fish out of water thing like there should be a lot of like antics there should be like him trying to figure out how a microwave works and you know get yeah. scared by a tv and you know maybe make a slightly you know problematic you know comment about uh these social yes. improvements that have happened yeah, even in a good would. natured level and instead he's just like this he says he says that he's like oh this place is amazing but like how what what is it he's like wow i love deregulation <laughs> like you know, let's say it <laughs> you know? yeah you're right that uh i'm pretty sure the the anti-zatana acts hadn't been enacted in congress by the time this film was <laughs> in the dceu but they're um the the way that they sort of introduce the monkey's paw i thought was really interesting like so um, one of the, uh, like, uh, background characters, you know, says that he wishes that he had a coffee. And then immediately one of his coworkers happens to be strolling in and says, oh, hey, I've got an extra coffee. Does anybody want one? So I was like, okay, this is kind of clever. Like, it doesn't just materialize out of nowhere. It kind of seems like a coincidence. Like, somebody could wish for something. And then something just kind of shows up. And it's like, oh, okay, well, that's that's pretty cool that that would happen. But you know at, at first it doesn't seem like the things that happen are a direct consequence of people's wishes but then what happens with it is just so like lopsided and lackadaisical like it, it kind of seemed for example um that when uh barbara minerva says that she wishes she was like diana prince you know and she says that because uh diana saved her from uh street harassment and a possible rape uh that um she develops these powers slowly but also at the same time diana is losing her powers after she had mentally wished for steve to come back so it's like oh are these two linked like is barbara getting stronger because diana is getting weaker or what's happening here and it's only later that you really find out oh so diana is losing her powers or her powers are fluctuating because she wished for steve to come back but the way that the power loss is handled it's, it's so inconsistent it's like but why didn't the stone take away diana's powers altogether that would have yeah. been a pretty interesting movie to see how she like navigates this like threat to you know uh like global annihilation without any powers at all but that's not what they did no, with that's it. cool we could have had a superman 2 scene where she gets the shit kicked out of her in a diner <laughs> yeah wonder woman <laughs> exactly. does need one scene yeah. where she like 
it this was like this was supposed to be the movie where she kind of shows her vulnerability and weakness but she like she get like shots a couple of times but she mostly just shrugs it off right and she doesn't have to like overcome or beat anybody while she doesn't have her powers she mostly just like survives and then usually in these movies if you lose your powers you still have to win one fight without them but they don't really give her the opportunity to do that instead they and it's just so bizarre that this is this is supposed to be the feminist movie she just spends the whole movie crying about not having chris pine and then being you know being happy because she has chris pine and then being sad because she has to get rid of chris pine (laughs) and it's just her entire world revolves around this dude i'm like we love the guy we love chris pine but wonder woman should have more going on than just this yeah and it's like i don't know like wonder woman's done a lot for herself i mean i know like she doesn't have that social life but it's like she's like what like head curator at the fucking smithsonian like that in itself is kind of interesting do we i'm sorry like do did we need to bring back chris pine (laughs) i guess we had to because he was i mean he was the biggest bit of life in the first one i think it would be i mean even though they did kill him off i think they maybe had to bring him back in some capacity but it should have been like and it shouldn't have been that wonder woman was hung up on him this whole time it should have been like oh she saw something that reminded her of him that day and then she oh i wish i could see him again and it just had was a coincidence that the rock was the wishing rock was there right like you could have done it where that she just on this day she missed him instead we're supposed to believe that she spent the past 67 years every single day of every moment moment pining for him and it just seems like really sad and pathetic more than any sort of, it could have even been a fun thing like oh my god my old boyfriend is back like wow i can't can't believe it but instead it's just this really dour thing where it's like finally the only man i could ever love is back but i know deep in my heart i'll have to lose him again and it's just it's no fun and it's just is really just quite sexist and ridiculous too. Yeah. Another thing was like how they handle, um, I, I, I don't know exactly what you would call it, but it, rather than show you a thing, they just tell you that this is true, right? So the yes. way that they handle oh. exposition was just so, okay. So for example, when, and I, I hate getting stuck, like hung up on the scene, but I kind of feel like the scene where Diana and Barbara go out to lunch is where things begin to fall apart, where Barbara uh, asks her, hey, would you like to go out to lunch? And Diana's like, no, you know, I'm pretty busy. You're not going to have time for lunch. And then, you know, uh, at the end of their conversation, she's like, hey, you know what? Let's go out for an early dinner. But I'm like, I thought you two just got into work. And now you're going out for early din- Like, what was the time skip here? So now they're out for dinner at this uh, restaurant or whatever. And they didn't even show diana and barbara having a conversation where barbara said something funny or charming yes and diana i was, was like yeah. ha, 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 this thing. is really funny no they skipped right to <laughs> diana laughing like oh ha, 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 you're so funny i can't believe you're so funny i'm like but what did she say because right after you finish saying you're really funny then barbara goes back to being weird and fucking awkward and not being able to say like not being able to get through a sentence so like why can't you just Show me that this person is charming and witty underneath all of that awkwardness. They don't want to do that. And then when Barbara gets her power, like she she wishes that she was like Diana and, uh, you know, she could have had like a change in attitude or perhaps like had an insight about something that she didn't before. And she's able to charm her coworkers because she says stuff or she changes her appearance in subtle ways. No, she basically uh, falls asleep in her office. Um, her hair is a compl- like if you've ever fallen asleep in a place that you weren't supposed to fall asleep in and then have to go to work and I'm not going to elaborate further than that right afterwards <laughs> you know that <laughs> you know that a you're not going to look your best whatsoever no matter like how much you arrange your hair uh, b people are going to notice that you're wearing the same clothes even if you like take off one garment the most visible thing about you is going to be your shirt if you're wearing the same shirt to work two days in a row people are going to notice that so she leaves her office nobody notices that she's wearing the exact same shirt in the same leggings that she was the previous day she doesn't say anything to people that was any different the, the, the way that she would communicate with them before but everyone's like oh hey barbara oh my gosh barbara hey looking good girl and it's like okay first of all she hasn't brushed her teeth so i know you're lying <laughs> it's, it's, and second of all nothing about her appearance or attitude or anything has changed you're just magically believing that this is what is charming and witty and attractive now because the plot requires you to and i thought i'm like that's just that's like a first draft mistake like how did you even get to a finished product with this yeah, there's, I mean, there's so much of that. I, I, I really 
part of the problem is that they never show why Diana Prince is cool because she's actually a loser. So it doesn't make sense <laughs> that Barbara is like so looking up to her. And she can't say, oh, I wish I was like Wonder Woman because Wonder Woman doesn't exist yet. Wonder Woman doesn't actually debut as a public figure until, you know, until the modern times after Superman um comes out so it's like so they so like there isn't even a culture of worship around wonder woman that Kristen wig could be a part of you've seen that character before and like the uh the riddler in batman forever is like worshipable of batman and bruce wayne like you you've have the you've done this kind of villain before but they don't really give us anything about diana to really connect with and then wonder woman is like a is like just a phantom basically in this world so what is it about barbara what, why does barbara want to be like gal Gadot? and also doesn't help that like Krista Wig has more personality and charm than Gal Gadot. So it's even more confusing. And she's like a bit older than her. So it's just very strange for this older, more mature, better actress to be like so thirsty to become like Gal Gadot. This also going back to kind of like the like, whoa, like Wonder Woman, you knew Chris Pine for like, what, a week? Like, this is the thing. She, they go from like, she bumps into her. She's like, hi, do you want to have lunch? And then within 24 hours, she's like, I wish I was just like you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I think tapping into like a potentially like undiagnosed personality disorder here that isn't being brought up. But everything happens so fast. Like, you can't have like, what, like a montage or maybe like, oh, hey, it's been a week. Do you want to get that lunch? You know, like yeah. this movie goes so fast and it doesn't need to. And it goes so slow at the same time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it's weird. It's like this it's like this year has been. Maybe it is the perfect film yes. for 2020. Yeah. So uh before uh before we close out, let's try to parse the politics of this oh. movie and just, you know, kind of to set the context for it. The first uh Wonder Woman movie, now Wonder Woman as a character traditionally is presented that she debuted as a superhero, possibly during World War Two, fighting the Nazis. There's plenty of old Wonder Woman co- comics where she's fighting the Nazis. Uh, you know, red, white, and blue fighting the Nazis, yada yada yada. Captain America, Superman, they all did it, right? For some reason, Wonder Woman 1 decided that even though she would still spend the time fighting the Germans, it would take place during World War 1. So you have all this uh pro-America jingoism along with like this evil Nazi aesthetic, but placed onto World War One such that if you ask the average person, she they will think that Wonder Woman was fighting the Nazis in war in her in her first movie. Uh and this confusion where, you know, they're trying to convince people that in World War One, like America was the good guys and there were clear bad guys and they were the Germans. That was the politics of the first movie that was like pretty uh shitty and shady but this one adds uh, lots of new uh layers to it um wonder woman finally directly tackles the politics uh of the middle east and it's quite uh interesting uh, i would say uh q what, what did you think oh god yeah okay <laughs> so okay uh, i i was actually um first of all i was high as fuck when i was watching the movie uh, last <laughs> night right so uh, a few things might have gotten by me but i i i did uh pick up that uh you know maxwell lord goes to uh somewhere in the middle east or north africa because he picked up he, you know he he went he uh sorry diana and steve pick up a magazine and they see that um you know he's he's gotten tickets to cairo and uh, he also looked at this uh, this magazine that had this, uh, you know, brown dude on the cover. So, you know, they steal a jet from the Smithsonian. And I'm thinking to myself, hang on a second. Now, I may be high as fuck, but why would there be a fully fueled fighter jet <laughs> sitting in the Smithsonian that they can just, like, take off with and fly all the way to fucking Cairo? Where did they land? <laughs> Because, all right, I don't, and here's my thing, I have no, nothing about airplanes, nothing, but I would imagine the technology has jumped like crazy from when Chris Pine was flying a plane, because I would try to be like, yes. I don't know, I know like a long time ago he had to like wind up a car to start it, like how is he operating this like plane? He was flying 
in World War One, he would have been flying. A, a, he would have been flying an airborne bucket. Okay, <laughs> and and he's able to to fly a fighter jet across like all of the 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 air currents and temperature changes and all that shit. Hang on. First of all, even taking all of that out of the picture, can a fighter jet go from DC? To North Africa is that even possible? I don't. I, I, I just. Not, I'm not even sure. But yeah. I. I assume that the reason that aircraft carriers exist is because they don't have that kind of a range. They have to sail these these jets out to where they can fly from to do their sorties and their bombings and dogfights and whatever. And even if you you're, you're going to take on face value that all right, Patty Jenkins she works closely with the military in making her film. She even did a little promo, so I'm sure they got the right jet that could just make it across you know the water, uh, make it to uh, Cairo. And I'm sure they got the you know the right uh, jet that would be possible for a world war one fighter pilot to fly maybe like all of that is true but it, the fact is that the only reason this very 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 long scene exists in the movie is that wonder so that wonder woman could have an invisible jet that she creates with her brand new power of turning things invisible that we just learned about five minutes uh the second that she does it the very second the power is needed yeah and that's the part i freaked out because i'm watching it and in my head i'm trying to figure out could chris pine operate this fighter pilot and the second i was like oh they're doing the invisible jet joke god damn it <laughs> all of that so much for this bizarre joke completely unnecessary they're like oh we need to get to cairo but wait you don't have a passport steve because you're a ghost taking place taking someone else's body i'm like wait a minute that guy probably has a yeah. passport the guy probably right? has a passport <laughs> why why wouldn't steve have a passport available the guy seemed like a you know first of all he said he was like an engineer or something second th this is in dc right so like who who in like the uh the the elite social scene in that city does not have a passport that was so to me the least sorry the most plausible thing about that entire setup was wonder woman that very second being able to, to turn the fucking jet invisible. <laughs> and, and also this is like 1984 pre he's a white guy they just let them <laughs> on the planes back then you just had like if you were a handsome white guy you just waved to the pilot on the way and you got on you didn't need fucking identification I know. <laughs> they didn't even, like, did they even have like uh, airport metal security scanners back then? Like, I'm pretty sure it was. Uh, I forget what the what which bombing it was in particular, but I'm I'm almost positive it was somewhere in the late 1970s to early 1980s where they started doing like the uh, the whole securities theater thing before you even get on the plane. So I, I don't know that that to me was hi highly implausible on its own. But then when they actually when they get there. And uh, Maxwell Lord is having this conversation with, and I was okay. I was really confused about this because um, I, I I thought what they were trying to do was um, like transplant the uh, the DC sort of like Middle Eastern country of what is it called like Bialya or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's like, like Bialya. Yeah, I thought they were trying to trans like trying to do like a veil of Bialya over Egypt and say that oh, there's some sort of like disputed territory, kind of the way that they that Marvel Universe does with like. Wakanda being in East Africa, like East Southern Africa, but it shares borders with Uganda and Kenya, I'm pretty sure. I thought it was something like that. What it actually was instead was that um, the uh, king of Balia was living in Cairo in exile and had some oil to sell. Like he, he owns oil, but he's also in Egypt. But I'm like, but this makes no sense. If he's in exile, then he would have no territorial claim to this oil whatsoever whatever like new nation like it's almost like uh you know if, if the uh the kmt uh was able to like sell goods and resources out of china proper from taiwan like it, it doesn't that wouldn't make any fucking sense the the ccp would have sovereignty over whatever is within its borders and sell things as they wish so how could this person in exile have any sort of like hegemonic power over this nation that he's exiled from in the first place so i took it as okay so this country is supposed to be a stand-in for egypt and what they've done is give egypt a king except 
that in 1952, Egypt had a revolution where they got rid of their king. So they've basically just taken like a bunch of these Middle Eastern tropes, like these Orientalist tropes that always show up. And they basically like did like comic book Syriana right down to the fucking <laughs> shitty yellow, yellow filter. And like... Um, so when, when Maxwell Lord is offering this guy his wish and he says, well, what I wish is that uh, I have like my entire kingdom back and we would get rid of all the heathens. And then a wall magically pops up out of nowhere that cuts like people on one side of the wall off from their source of natural water and people on the other side of the wall like have their kingdom back. And he says, well, in return for that, I'll take your oil. He's like, ha ha ha, I sold all of my oil to the Saudis. It's no longer, I don't no longer own it. He's like, okay, well, I'm just going to take your private security force. And then all of the disruption that occurs uh, from your, your country being destabilized by this new and sudden territorial dispute, have fun taking care of all that by yourself. And I thought to myself, the actor who's playing this king, uh, Amr Waked, he was convicted in absentia of spreading untruths about the Egyptian government. Now, the the modern, like, today's Egyptian government is a fascist, like, puppet dictatorship that's propped up by the United States. And one of the benefits that the U.S. gets uh, from Egypt essentially being in its pocket is that Egypt, which was previously a fierce advocate uh, on behalf of the Palestinians and against um, Israel's sort of hegemonic power um, in that region, is now able to sell out the Palestinians and convince the uh, the Jordans, uh, the Saudis, etc., that they should just allow Israel to continue annexing territories and essentially, like, uh, offer no protection or uh, succor to the, the Palestinians whatsoever. So it's like, but there's that, that sort of shift in, um, like, political alignment never crosses the minds of, like, the broader American public, not in mass media, certainly not in movies. So what this kind of looks like is, like, a, a continuity of thought for all these, like, MENA countries that they're all backwards puppet dictatorships that are propped up by these, like, uh, these, these, these uh, incompetent figures that have no control over the resources, no control over their own people because all they're interested in is accumulating power and inflicting terror on their own people. And when they like put that over top of Egypt, which has historically been like one of the, the bulwarks against Western hegemony in the MENA region, I thought that that is really fucking egregious. And like shame on this dude who I, I understand why you'd have a problem with the Egyptian government, but like this is just straight up fucking propaganda. And you're you're happy to go ahead and play this role because you may have a personal grudge. But what does that do to the broader American conception about what the dynamics of Middle East and North African politics are? Yeah, it's completely bizarre that this the detour that this film takes, because it, again, is not it's not as really like a political movie like the movie the core lesson of the movie is like to tell the truth and like love is fleeting or some shit like that right like so appreciate the time that you have with your son or your fighter pilot boyfriend or whatever right like but it has nothing to say but it it it, it still takes this detour to the middle east with and it doesn't stick to just the fake country of bialia it does say you know egypt and cairo and and there's, you know, also the specter of Gal Gadot and her support, her former membership of and support for the IDF as well. And it really comes to a head with the fight scene where you have Gal Gadot versus this, you know, brown security force, right, that she's blowing up and destroying all the jeeps for and shit. I think technically she doesn't kill anybody or she tries not to. But there's this one scene where Chris Pine takes like a missile this, uh, and he throws it in the air to fire it off and Gal Gadot whips onto the missile and then saves two uh, little brown children who are in the road and people pointed out that this is kind of invoking uh, you know when the ID the for uh, the boys who were killed playing soccer um, on the beach by the IDF during Operation Protective Edge yeah which Gal Gadot specifically praised fuck her forever for that honestly like I didn't like her before I really didn't okay so if anyone's not familiar uh, in 2014 uh, Gal Gadot uh, called Hamas cowards. They uh, they uh, uh, were supposedly hiding behind women and children, uh, is what she said. She says, uh, especially to all my boys, I'm sending love and prayers to all my federal Israeli citizens, especially to all the boys and girls who are risking their lives protecting my country against the horrific acts conducted by Hamas, who are hiding uh, like cowards behind women and children. Um, 
we shall overcome. Shabbat Salom. We are right. Free Gaza from Hamas. Stop terror. Yada, yada, yada. Right? A bunch of hashtags and shit. Now, Operation Protective Edge killed, like, so many people. Like, there was just these indiscriminate drone bombings. Um, there there were uh, 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 uh acts of like terror committed against Palestinian people there was like human rights atrocities and violations like i think it's it's clear to i think it's clear to any like right thinking individual that operation protective edge was like a, a human atrocity against the Palestinian people. And she was all for it at the time. So in this scene, this chase scene where they're they're chasing after Maxwell Lord who now is in possession of the uh, king of Bialia's uh, security force, this convoy is like driving down the road. And this is where I say her powers are sort of fluctuating in and out because uh, on one hand, she's able to like lasso one of the trucks and like use it to like get towards the other trucks and she's able to like veer one of them off course by kicking it and uh she like uh grabs she 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 goes underneath one of the trucks and then like straddles the transaxle with her legs and then pulls it down into the ground and the axle like pistoning into the ground flips this entire truck over which launches her into the air so that she can get on top of another truck so it's like okay so her powers are back are they but then she ends up sandwiched between two of the trucks and then one of them like tries to sideswipe the other truck to smash her between them and she's not able able to like leg press the truck away from herself she's slowly becoming crushed by the truck so i'm like okay are her powers coming or going i'm not really sure but as all this is happening a couple of brown kids uh, are playing soccer on the side of the road and they kick the ball into the middle of the street so i'm like all right the, these these children on this road which apparently is like being used by convoys all the time because it was like their their uh, their path out of the country or towards the airport or wherever they were going so it has to be like a high traffic road these kids kick the ball into the middle of the road and then continue playing soccer in the middle of the fucking road and their mom is standing right there watching them kick the ball into the middle of the road and play soccer and nobody has any sort of like sense of preservation instinct or like trying to like protect their own children nothing like that they continue playing soccer while this convoy is bearing down on them from like a mile and a half away because like several things happen in the course of this scene between Gal Gadot noticing the children are in the street and then having to save the children so what happens next is uh steve without any by the way no communication between the two whatsoever like they didn't actually like communicate this plan to save these children steve who is like a couple of truck lengths behind wonder woman fires a missile towards wonder woman and also towards these children wonder woman lassos the missile now keep in mind like it wasn't even a missile. It was, actually, it was, it was an RPG. It was a rocket propelled grenade, right? Which only weighs probably like 8, 9, 10, 12 pounds. Yeah. Her 125-odd pound body is carried by this RPG <laughs> in front of the trucks towards the children. She flings it out of the way with her lasso so that it obviously doesn't hit the children. And then she lassos a, like a, a power line. Or uh, like a like a, 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 a electricity tower, she lassos it. She gets in front of the trucks. She swoops down. She saves these kids. Except her powers are disappearing again, so she loses control of the lasso and she falls into the middle of the road. Now, keep in mind, this convoy must have seen the children. If she's able to see the children from behind the convoy, that means whoever's driving in front of the convoy has seen the children and oh, is choosing yeah. to bear down on them and run them over regardless, right? But Wonder Woman, having lost control of the lasso and falling in front of the convoy, they see her roll with these children in front of them, and they part ways. They they swerve out of the way so that they don't run over Wonder Woman, who, by the way, they were trying to kill for the entire five <laughs> minutes before that. And these children, they swerve out of the way. Um, and then Steve brings his uh, his armored personnel carrier that he was driving to a full stop. And I thought to myself, what the fuck just happened here? So these drivers who either didn't see these children or didn't care were bearing down on the children. Wonder Woman saves the children, and plausibly, but she saves the children regardless. Wonder Woman, who they were just trying to kill 10 seconds ago, they swerve out of the way to not kill her or to not kill the children. But none of that makes sense. Either they were trying to kill the children and she had to save them, or they were not trying to kill her. Like, I, I just, the, the whole, and the entire, I think, reason behind that was to give Gal Gadot a scene saving brown children from these incompetent and murderous brown people. And that was the point where I completely checked the fuck out of the movie. Oh. I, I don't know what more we could say. We could, there, we have even crashed, scratched the surface of like the problems with this film, but I, I, it, it's just, we could talk for days about this, but the number one thing I'd have to say, people, is 
do not watch this movie. There are better movies to watch. Even if you want to watch a movie starring a problematic heroine uh, doing some action, watch Haywire with Gina Carano. Watch The Mandalorian. Watch watch something else. This movie is not good. Um, it was not worth the wait. I don't know what they were thinking, but it, it's just a really, truly bad uh, movie and not bad in an interesting way. And I'm so sorry for anyone uh, who watched it. But uh, on that note, uh, thank you, Q, so much uh, for joining us today. Where can people find you? Uh, so you can find me. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Andre Demise. And you can find my writing in McLean's Magazine, and you can also listen to the Drop Squad podcast or any of the Resistance Noir podcasts. All right, folks, that was Struggle Session. Thank you so much. Have a good one. Bye, everyone. Like what you hear? Want to hear more? Check us out at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus or struggle session.substack.com for all our public episodes, commercial free, as well as hundreds of bonus episodes. Thank you to all our listeners for holding us down five years strong.